Hello, and welcome to The Midlife with Kimberly Sampson and Tracy Feldstein. If you're over 40 and under dead, you're in the right place. Hey there, I'm Kimberly Sampson, and welcome to The Midlife Podcast, where we discuss tools and strategies to turn your midlife crisis into your midlife transformation. Some of what you'll hear is from the recipe I use to get myself out of my own midlife funk. Some of what we'll discuss draws on my career in finance and banking and my experiences with entrepreneurship. All of it, my personal experience and my professional expertise are yours to help you design your next best chapter and thrive. We'll also have a special segment called Reinvented sprinkled in every few weeks. You'll hear from inspiring women who have changed course after 40, proving it's never too late to start something new. Join me. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Midlife Podcast. Last Sunday was my 49th birthday. One of my friends that wished me a happy birthday on Facebook made a really funny comment. She said she didn't know I was so young for our grade. That cracked me up, our grade. But you totally know what she means, right? I'm class of 1989, and most of my contemporaries are turning 50 this year. So many thoughts about that. Isn't it strange that we still classify ourselves by the year we graduated high school? Somehow it's rude to ask someone what year they were born, but it's okay to ask what year they graduated high school. Aren't you just trying to get down to the same info? How old are you? And I'm not going to tell you that in the strange triangulation of demographic information, I haven't at some point in my adult life answered the question of my graduation year, but followed with, yeah, but I'm young for my grade. For a large part of my academic career, I wore it as a badge of honor that I was usually the youngest in the class. I thought it was evidence of how smart I am. In retrospect, I realized that the only thing it meant was that my mother was ready, willing, and able to get me out of the house a year sooner than I was emotionally ready to enter the dog-eat-dog world of kindergarten. For a while, it was fine, but that extra year really caught up with me big time come high school. For starters, I was always the smallest and was destined to be a late bloomer no matter what. So not only was I actually younger, I looked younger. And not in the good way that we all want to look younger now, in the malnourished, scrawny, underdeveloped, waifish way. Then life was a big suck when everyone around me started turning 16 and I didn't even have a learner's permit. And again, when everyone turned 21 our junior year of college, but I had brazenly used my very bad California fake idea actually in California. Rookie mistake and it was taken away. That was a very long year. For any of my Los Angeles friends listening, it was at Yankee Doodles on 3rd Street Promenade. Does it get any lamer? But this year, this year's my payback. It's like the end of daylight savings time, but I'm the only one that gets the extra hour of sleep. This year was the best birthday I've had in a long time. Not because of what we did, which was fun, but very low-key. I went for a run in the morning, and then we took a picnic on a family hike, and we brought in sushi for dinner. I had a long bath, and I started a great book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Pretty good day, right? But because it was the first time I allowed myself to stop and take a look around. What occurred to me is that I'm actually entering my 50th year the next decade and that celebrating my 49th birthday was the closing of a decade. Good riddance to my 40s. From 42 on, they fucking sucked. But if they hadn't, I wouldn't have come so far to where I am today and I wouldn't have started the midlife with this singular objective of helping women embrace that suck that I believe to be a universal experience of midlife crisis. If you've ever wondered if you're the only one, let me assure you with every being in my body that the only outliers, the rare individuals that aren't questioning everything and everyone around them, just haven't woken up from the coma yet. In retrospect, what I would characterize as the darkest period of my life 
was absolutely the necessary dues I had to pay to fully remake and transform myself into the person I want to be in this chapter. And one of the biggest lessons it taught me is that I don't have to commit to remain here. I have the right and the opportunity to continue to explore and evolve as long as I am lucky enough to grace this earth. My hope is that I can shorten your time in the suck and get you to the good part faster. I usually work a little every day, but on my birthday, I forced myself to drop it all and to use the day to totally enjoy and reflect. Why was I so much happier now than truly ever before? There really hasn't been any significant shift in any part of my external life, but I uncovered the answer. I came up with the singular definition of what the good part means and how I got here, this place I want to help you get to too. The heart of the good part is five key relationships in your life. When you unlock the mastery of these five key relationships, I am certain that you will have happiness, be equipped to easily find your purposefulness, and be living your life with peace and on your own terms. Here are the five key relationships. I truly believe that 90% of what you perceive to be the source of your sadness, anger, discontent, or resentment could be eliminated by changing the thoughts in your head about these relationships. Now, I've put them in my order of priority, but you're welcome to organize them differently, except for the first one. That is non-negotiable. Number one, your relationship with yourself. For a moment, take a little truth serum with me and ask yourself if you treat yourself kindly. No hemming and hawing, it's a yes or no question. You're either good to yourself or you're not. This means everything from feeding yourself healthy food, making time to exercise, throwing in some quiet time for things like meditation or reading. Do you take care of your skin, face, and body, your hair, your grooming? Not sure if you notice, but making it look like it's all together takes a wee bit more effort the older we get. And on the flip side, I think the worse you allow yourself to look, the worse you feel. Are you constantly nitpicking at yourself about the way you look and your weight? Do you punish yourself and deprive yourself of some sort of penance? Do you fail to keep promises to yourself? Are you doing anything to feed your brain and curiosity? Do you plan entertaining events for yourself? I realize no one's going out on the town right now, but do you create situations that you can look forward to? Nobody's 100%, but there's a general tone of acceptance and pride or disdain and disgust. Which camp are you in? The good news is that you absolutely can improve your relationship with yourself. And in doing so, so much of what you think is bothering you that is manufactured on the outside magically evaporates. Truth bomb, you are most of the problem. But I want you to see that as empowering because it's something you have complete control over. Okay, number two, your relationship with your partner or your approach to finding a partner. Your happiness does not depend on another human being. This holds true if you're in a relationship or not. So see number one. Now, can your mate bug the shit out of you and piss you off? Of course. But the sooner you accept that that's more about you and your reactions and less about them and what they're doing, the better off you're going to be. Let me assure you, there is no such thing as a perfect mate. But let me also assure you that you can improve any relationship and change the way you feel about that person. Those choices are 100% within your control. A lot of this requires that you stop expecting someone to read your mind or fulfill your fantasy of what they should be or should do. You have to be explicit about your needs and wants, and you have to communicate them in a kind and loving way. If you're having a knee-jerk reaction that you don't want to or you shouldn't have to, I invite you to continue feeling the way you are. But if you're sick of walking on eggshells in your own home or harboring anger and resentment, I don't know, maybe try it my way for a while. P.S. I'm hosting my workshop, Midlife Marriage, Let's Get Real Again this month. The sign-up is on my website, and it may just help you flip that switch. 
Number three, your relationship with your children if you have them. Unlike the marriage and midlife crisis stuff that I can share my past experience and guide the way for you, I am very much still in the weeds with this one. I have three very different relationships with my three sons because of the age differences. Relating to an eight-year-old is very different than relating to a high school junior, and now I have the uncharted territory of having a human birth from my loins that is 20. I was watching an old episode of the Goldbergs the other day, and Beverly referred to her baby tarmac. I love that. There is a lot of child estrangement in my family, and not having a loving and productive relationship with my kids is absolutely not an option for me. Parenting children, especially adult children, is not unlike when I'm riding horses. There are times to tighten the reins and loosen your leg to slow them down, and times to use your leg and let the reins go to let them fly, and then there are infinite combinations in between. But I am certain that if things aren't right with your babies, no matter how old they are, your own happiness is in jeopardy. I don't mean to unfairly pique your curiosity about things I don't want to go into detail about, but I will tell you as a child of abandonment and frankly emotional abuse that your relationship with your children is unusual and that I don't believe it's a two-way street. You are the parent. You set the dynamic. You have to love unconditionally. You are the safety net. Your children owe you nothing. Oh yeah, they'll be selfish and they'll be piggish. Just be honest and forthright about your expectations when they fall short. But they have to know that you are eternally loyal and on their side. My theory is that the return on this investment is huge. And so far, that's working out. Number four, your relationship with your friends. Friendship in midlife for women is tough. I devoted a whole episode to it and probably should do another. For starters, you need to be a good friend. This doesn't mean you allow people to walk all over you, but you need to check in and go out of your way to maintain relationships. It's work. You can't say you don't have any friends but are sitting around waiting for invitations to magically appear, especially now. But it's also a great time to be pruning relationships. I think we can all acknowledge that there are relationships that have served their purpose. Maybe it was because your kid was always in the same class or you played on sports teams together or you picked up from school at the same time. It's okay to let those go. There's a meme that floats around and it says, this chapter of my life is by invitation only. I love that. It's not snobbery. It's recognizing that you don't have to surround yourself with women that don't support you or make you feel badly or inadequate. It means you're better than having a relationship based on gossip. You don't need a lot of friends. You need good friends, solid friends. Friends that'll tell you when there's something in your teeth. Friends that you know will only say nice things about you, especially when you're not in the room. And I want you to know you can make new friends at this stage of the game and build deep relationships. Intimacy isn't about how long you've known a person. It's based in trust. Number five, your relationship with your parents. Not my strong suit and therefore a chink in my armor that detracts from my well-being. So I can tell you that it is a key relationship worth working on, but I've got nothing for you. If I work this out in my head, the logical conclusion is that it's up to me to make this better because the folks on the other end aren't capable of making it right. So just as I'm asking you to take the brunt of the responsibility in the other key relationships, I will demand the same of myself and I'll keep you posted. Okay, so you're saying easier said than done. I'm not going to argue with you. You're right. But if you're willing to put in the work, I've got most of the life experience and tools to help you. If you aren't already, please put yourself on my email list by going to my website, www.themidlife.co, so you know what programs I'm offering and when. So the day after my birthday didn't go quite as smoothly. I had to take my son to the airport to fly back for his second semester of his sophomore year of college, and I got a ticket on the way to the airport. Well, part of the fun of living the good life is the huge shift in the way I experience emotions. 
In the past, had I been pulled over by the police, my heart would have been racing. I knew I was in the wrong, but instead of the good girl in me completely crumbling because I'd been naughty, I had a civil and matter-of-fact conversation with the officer, took my ticket, and went on my way. Not even a flush of rage afterward. Maybe mild annoyance. It was really of no consequence to me. But lest you think my secret is that I've completely deadened myself to life. When I dropped my boy at the airport, I was a puddle. I love that man-child with every fiber of my being, and to fully experience that sense of loss felt actually pure and cathartic. So that's it for me this week. Let me help you get to the good part. There's always room for one more. 